Welcome to an Impact Ministries production, brought to you by Impact Ministries World Changers, changing the way the world sees God. Learn how you can become a world changer today by visiting www.impactministries.com. Now, here's your host, founder of Impact Ministries and developer of Heart Physics, the self-development programs that have changed thousands of lives around the world, Dr. Jim Richards. Hey, I'm Jim Richards, and if you're here to hear some good news about God and some good news about you, you are in the right place. Man, I'll tell you something. When you've got a good God that loves you, that's for you, that's not against you, that's not trying to hurt you, He sent Jesus to make that possible and empower you to have the best life imaginable. You know, that is so incredible. I'm sorry to think about it. Jesus told us this, and I quote this almost every week, you know, that basically God wants you to have the best life possible. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it to its fullest or have it abundantly. But you know, when the apostle Paul was describing the life that God has for you, all that God has in store for you, he says, it's so good. It's better than anything you've ever seen. It's better than anything you've ever heard. As a matter of fact, it's better than anything you've ever imagined. You know, that's the challenge of the gospel. Remember, the gospel is good news. And, you know, we're so used to bad news. We're surrounded by bad news. We're, we're taught to be pessimists. You know, we're taught Murphy's Law from the, you know, from kindergarten up, it seems like. And, and you know, if anything can go wrong, it will. Just waiting for the other shoe to drop. Well, you know, bad news comes in threes. I mean, you know, all that kind of stuff. And that's really how people think and how they believe. Well, here's the sad thing is, and, and I can't explain all this. It's not, a, you know, I don't even want to get into some of the mystical explanations of all of this, but here's the real truth. You end up getting the life that you believe is going to happen. And that's, that's sad. But you know, the book of Proverbs says, it says, it says that, that you know, from the abundant, guard your heart with all diligence, because out of the heart flows all the issues of life. And that word issues could just as well be the word boundaries. And what it's talking about is the issues of your life. In other words, whether your life is good, whether your life is bad, whether your life is easy, whether your life is hard, whether your life is complicated, you know, all these things, it, it's basically happening because of what you believe in your life. I'm not saying you're doing it. I'm not saying you intend for it to happen. I'm not saying you want it to happen, but that's why most of what happens in our life happens. That's why we sometimes we, we become, you know, we become a, a, a death magnets. We attract destruction. We attract pain because of what we believe. And again, all I can tell you is what the Bible says about it. I'm not going to go into any kind of, into any kind of mystic definitions and explanations exactly about how all that takes place. I'm just, I'm just telling you that it does. But that's why the gospel is so hard to believe. It is better than we've ever imagined it could be. And, you know, if you've never seen something before, if you've never heard anything that's good, if you've never seen anything that's good, you never imagined anything that's good, and then suddenly you hear this promise of this incredibly good news, it's pretty hard really to take that promise at face value and say, okay, God, and here's what we need to do. You know, most people are like, well, I just can't believe it. Well, of course you can't believe it. You never heard it, never seen it, never imagined it. Of course you can't believe it at first. But the question is this, will you let God show you? And I'm telling you what, if you'll move into, if you'll move into intimacy with God and you know, I've got a, I've got a, a new book coming out in, in July 
and uh, it's, called, uh, it's called Behind the Veil. And I talk about this, you know, there's got to be a place where I say, you know, my expectations of life are so low. My understanding of God is so dark and unclear and so contradictory that it's time for me just to go to God and say, look, I, I don't know, who, really, I don't know much about you. Maybe the, you might even be like I was when I got saved. Never read the Bible. The Bible confuses me, but I want to know you. And, and, and I'm going to let you teach me and show me who you are. And whatever, whatever I find in the Bible is what I'm going to believe. And, you know, the first thing you discover is this. God is exactly as Jesus is. There is no difference. They are one. If you've seen him, you've seen the Father. And the real truth is anybody that saw the Father as he was in the Old Testament would have recognized who Jesus was. It's not, it's not, you know, uh, you, you got to see Jesus to see the Father. But Jesus also said, if you had known him, you'd know me. If you'd recognized him, you would have recognized me. Well, the thing is, God is going to bring you into this life that's better than anything you've ever had, better than anything you've ever imagined. God is going to have to kind of reshape your thinking. And he's going to do that by, through his word. Now, one of the, one of the great... Uh, confusions that we have revolves around what I call one of the pillars of faith. I, I believe there are two basic pillars of faith. That if you get these two things right, then you will always be able to sort out everything else about faith. You won't be confused. Your faith will be consistent. Number one is God's account of creation. If you know, that is our model for how to operate faith, to believe and conceive something in your heart and then speak these words of life with intention. And, and, and you see the end from the beginning. You've already developed all of this in your heart and, and you are unwavering and you're immovable about what's going to happen. That's faith. I mean, it's, it's just real simple. And we, we learn all of that when we study the story of creation. But also in creation, you know, we, we, we learn the dynamics of, of how things happen in the invisible realm. And uh, man, I'm telling you what, there's, there's, there's a wealth there of resources that we have never, ever, ever tapped into. Now, <clears throat> but then the second pillar of faith is this, that God created man in his own likeness and image, which means we are like God. We are created to be like God. We function like God. And, and as such, we are sovereign beings. Now, sovereign being, and people call God sovereign. They say, well, 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 he did this and it was a sovereign act. And well, you know what? If, if it violates his word, then it wasn't God. Because sovereignty does not mean you can do anything you want to. Sovereignty has boundaries and God established his own boundaries by giving us this word. And everything that God talks about in the commandments about how to treat people, that's how God treats us. And if he does something else, then, then he has violated his word. He has not been true to who he has represented himself to be. But we are sovereign in the sense that God nor the devil can forcibly act upon us. And, uh, you know, that flies in the face of everything that you've ever heard from a religious perspective. Because from a religious perspective, you know, you got God making you do things and got the devil making you do things. And, and then, of course, you jump out here into uh, humanistic, socialistic uh, philosophy and, and society's making you do things. You don't even have a choice. Society just, has just shaped you and, you know, you can't change who you are and you can't change your destiny. So you are who society has made you to be. 
Well, all of that is absolutely in, in contradiction to the fact that we were created in the likeness and the image of God. So this means that in everything that God wants to do in our life, there has to be participation. There has to be willful participation. And so uh, there are decisions that I have to make that if I do not make, God cannot make on my behalf. Now, on my behalf, he's already decided that he wants me to be whole and well, happy, saved, healed, delivered, blessed, prospered, protected, because that's what the word salvation means, and that's what Jesus accomplished for us at the cross. He's, he's already, God's already made the decision about what he wants, and he has already uh, put everything that we need into place so that when we make those decisions and believe that they're, that they're going to happen, uh, that actually they, they, they come together and happen. It was really interesting. Uh, when a Christian talks about what happened in the Garden of Eden, they call it the fall of man. Now, I'm going to tell you, I mean, I, I use that terminology simply because I know that's the accepted terminology. But you know what? I've, 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 it's been years, it's been decades since I believed that was the right terminology. There, man didn't fall. He didn't, climb, he didn't climb up a spiritual tree and fall out of the garden. You know, he didn't step on a banana peel and slip out of the garden. Man did not fall. He made a choice. And, you know, the Hebrews, they don't call what happened with Adam in the garden, Adam and Eve. They don't, they don't call it the fall of man. They call it the decision of man. Because man who was created in God's likeness and God's image made a decision. And that decision uh, determined how everything under his authority would go. And every, you know what was under his authority? Everything, absolutely everything. Now, let me say this, and I don't want to get too far into this, but, but it's really important to understand this. In the book of Hebrews, when it talks to us about faith, it talks about, it talks about uh, how that we understand that the things that are made were made uh, from the unseen, or the things that are visible, were, they came about from the invisible. In, in the Hebrew language, there's a, there's a definite difference between things that God created and God made. Now, in, in an act of creation, there is something that is brought into existence that not only is it non-existent in the physical, tangible world, but even the properties from which it is created were non-existent. So, you know, one of the things that we understand is, and there's a lot of different ways to say this. I may say this in a way that you don't prefer, and that's all right. You just got to get it in the language that you understand because we're talking about kind of eternal things here. It's kind of hard to, uh, or supernatural things. It's kind of hard to get the right terminology. But you know, I've always said it this way. God created the field first. In other words, there had to be an, exp uh, an, an expanse. There had to be a, an energetic field that, that had polar, that had polarity and, and had whatever basic qualities that had to be present in order for him to start making things happen. Because, you know, so, so, so he creates the field, then he creates um, really the beginning of, of the universe, which, you know, expands. And I don't know that I'm saying this just right, but I'm saying that we understand that in the, in the creation, uh, 
uh, God created, he brought from nothing all of the energy, all of the matter, all of the material, all of the things that we would need then for everything to be made, for all the planets to be made, for, for plants to be made, for, for animals to be made. Even our bodies were made. You know, our bodies, our bodies were, were made from the dust of the earth. It's interesting, and with our life though, our life was breathed into us from the mouth of God. And so, so my, my reason for saying that is that we are always, because of what we believe, because of, of, of what we choose, we are always actually making things from things that we can't see. You know, we're, we're, we're making things happen. You know, some of you heard me talk about this before, how that, you know, with the, with the advent of quantum science, uh, we, we now know Max Planck, he actually stated this in his, uh, uh, in his uh, acceptance of his Nobel Peace Prize, I think it was in 1927, is that he said, you know, we have thought that man was observing the universe. And we realize now man is not observing the universe. He is, in, he is at interplay with the universe. And the universe is becoming, through this interactive involvement with man, the universe is becoming what we perceive it to be, what we expect it to be, and what we, what we believe that it's going to become. And, uh, you know, we, we don't believe that. You know, we don't, uh, scientists believe that, but they don't have any understanding of how you could deliberately use that. But Christians don't believe that, even though science now proves it in the Bible, what the Bible has taught all along. So the truth is, on multiple levels, we're always creating the world around us. And uh, we can make it good, we can make it bad. We can make our future good, we can make our future bad. We can make our health good, we can make our health bad. There's all kinds of things that we have, that we have control over. We can change our, 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 we can reprogram our DNA, change our genetics. Things, things that for, you know, for centuries, science said, no, 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 going, oh, 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 I guess we were wrong. But the thing that's amazing is good science is catching up with the Bible. And uh, we are not bound to anything. We are not, we're not, uh, uh, I mean, sure, yes, there are some physical things at this point in time that we're probably limited to just because of our ability to believe or not believe them. But all this brings us down to this. God has done his part. Now, I'm not saying that God is passively setting back doing nothing, but God has done his part according to the Bible, I believe it's 2 Peter 1, 3, I believe it is, that says that he's already given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So there's nothing else for him to do. So when we start praying for God to do something that he has in fact already done, we're doing two things. Number one, we are making a declaration of our unbelief in the word of God. We are making our declaration and our unbelief in the finished work of Jesus. But number two, we are refusing to accept our responsibility and, and use our authority on planet earth. You know, I, I used to say it this way. I just tried to create a little catchy phrase to, you know, to make it make sense. But, but, but sadly, we tend to pray the things that we should say, and sometimes we tend to say the things we should pray. <laughs> you know, um, uh, 
I think at heart physics this year, one of the things we're going to be the subject for heart physics, which uh, you want to be sure and, and get registered for that as early as you can. And we will open up registration for this uh, in, in the month of um, uh, actually at the end of July. But uh, I think we're going to be talking about meditative prayer because, you know, heart physics is all about working with the heart, meditation and, and learning how to, to pray meditatively. But uh, when you start looking at, at, at prayer, one of the things you realize is this. Uh, almost everything that we are taught to pray about is stuff that Jesus said, don't pray about this. You don't have to pray about this. You know, I had a meeting with a woman yesterday that spent years in the um, um, intercession ministry. And, uh, but over the years, as she's come to understand the gospel of peace and come to understand just like me and everybody else, you know, we grow in what we understand. You know, she start, she's starting to realize that, that so much of the intercessory prayer activity is, is really unscriptural. It's, it's, it's statements of unbelief. People, you know, people fighting with a devil that's already defeated. People begging God to do things that he said, uh, you don't need to pray about this. Violating the principles of prayer that Jesus taught. So Jesus said, look, you, know, you don't have to, you really don't have to uh, pray to get God to take care of you. I mean, it, listen, if he, if he clothes, you know, the, the, the flowers in the field, if he takes care of the birds of there, don't you think he's going to take care of you? Do you think, you think you need to convince God to take care of you? But let me ask you this. How much of your prayer life is about trying to get God to do, take care of you and do stuff for you? And Jesus said, you don't need to be doing that. You know, that's kind of a waste of time. Jesus also said, listen, don't think that you're going to be heard for your much talking. And in that, number one is the concept of just how long you pray. Uh, you know, we, we've got this idea that the longer we pray, the more spiritual we are. Well, you know, maybe that the longer we pray, uh, the, the less faith we have because, uh, you know, all of these things we're trying to persuade God to do, he probably already did through the Lord Jesus Christ. But also that goes into the concept of, of not praying formulas and special words. Um, so, so, you know, you know Jesus, you don't, you don't really have to do all of this. And Jesus teaches us through what we call the Lord's Prayer. Now, you don't get this in the English so much, and you don't get this if you don't understand the authority of man. But he really taught us what binding and loosing should look like in real life. Because every one of those aspects of what we call the Lord's Prayer is actually an aspect of where we should take authority and speak to situations and change those situations based on our authority. See, we have authority over our life. Now, you know, we have been talking about uh, and we're down here, we're down here to about week seven, I believe it is, or uh, on the truth about Job. Job, Jesus hadn't come yet. Job couldn't pray the way that we pray. There's some things that Job could have done that he didn't do. There's some missteps that Job made that caused his suffering to go on and on and on and on and on. And then ultimately, finally, God intervened and, and Job opened his heart to God and they were, able, you know, they were able to get to the root of the issue. Job just didn't trust how good God was. That's all it really came down to. But you also have to keep in mind, Jesus had not died, been raised from the dead, and therefore, uh, Satan had not been cast out. He had not been stripped of his authority and power. He, you know, he, he, he was still very active in the earth in a way uh, of influencing 
people. And I don't know all the ins and outs of that. Nobody, nobody else does. But we just, we just know that it was happening. And we also know he was an accuser that would come before God and accuse people. So, so Job, didn't, Job didn't have what we have. So you look back at Job and, and even, you know, you, you can even look back at people who were victorious like, like Daniel or Joseph. And even as victorious as they were in their situations, they did not have what we have. There were things they had to pray about and seek to understand, get understanding from God before they could take action in, in many arenas of, of their life and their ministry. Uh, for us, since we already have all things that pertain to God, life and godliness, and since we already have Jesus' example, and since Jesus already showed us how to do these things, then the real truth is, most of, of the will of God is known. Because remember, when we think about the will of God, we tend to think about the last, I mean, we tend to think about what God is willing to do or not willing to do. Well, very probably when the Bible talks about, particularly the New Testament, the will of God, it's talking about the last will and testament of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have the last will and testament. We know the benefits that we have. We know what is ours. And then all we really have to do from that point on is act on it. You know, I can't remember if it was, if I was speaking to you guys in the last week or two, or if it was somewhere else I was speaking. But you know, most, most believers, it's like they go to the reading of the will and the lawyer says, uh, okay, Here's what's been provided for you. I'm giving you a check for a hundred million dollars. You can go, you can use it however you want. And, and then, you know, and so you're, you're leaving and you're thinking, man, I, I need, you know, I need to buy some groceries. I, I wonder if it's all right for me to cash this, put this check in the bank and, and buy some groceries. You've already read the will. You're, you're not going to be doing that. As a matter of fact, you wouldn't do that, but we do that with God. You know, Jesus' last will and testament tells us that all the promises of God are ours in Jesus. So that it tells us that we are delivered from all the curses of the law because we're in the Lord Jesus. It tells us that we are qualified for the inheritance because we're in the Lord Jesus. It's like, how much plainer does it have to be? So when we read those things, when bad things are happening in our life and we read those things and we say, well, I don't know how I need to pray. I, I don't want to hurt your feelings, but I do want you to face something. You are confused by your unbelief. You, you can read. If you, you know, I mean, I, and please, I don't want to be offensive if you have trouble reading. That, you know, that's not my point, but you can get somebody to read it to you. But if the Bible says, all the promises that God ever made to anyone, 2 Corinthians 1.20, are yes for you in Jesus. As a matter of fact, the verse before that says, with God, this gospel is not yes and no. It's not yes sometimes, no sometimes, but our gospel is yes. Therefore, all the promises of God are yes for you if you're in Christ Jesus. How much plainer can it get? 
But because we don't believe how good God is, we don't believe what Jesus did at the cross. We just go, oh, oh, I, 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 I know he promised this to, you know, and he promised this and promised, but I'm, I'm not sure that's for me because I've done some things wrong. I've messed up a little bit. Well, you know what? I'm not encouraging you to mess up because it, mess, it messes up your heart, makes it hard for you to believe, makes it hard for you to believe that the promises are yours. It makes it hard for you to receive anything from God, but it does not make those promises untrue. And if you'll start participating in those promises, I got news where you, you'll get to the place where these places you've been failing and compromising are not that important anymore because now you have found life at its very, very best. So you say, well, okay, well, well I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not sure then, okay, what, what, what's God's part and what, what's my part? I'm glad you asked. God's part is this. I am going to send my son to the world who will become your sin. He will experience all the curse of the law that you should have experienced as a result of this. He's going to be separated from me and die so that you'll never have to be separated from me and die of the sinner's death. He's going to use his faith to overcome the sin that's holding him in the grave and so that you'll never have to do that for yourself. He's going to believe all the promises I made about him, all the promises I made about his destiny and his calling, and he's going to be raised from the dead. And um, uh, since he's going to do that, you're not going to have to go through all of that. And, and then he's going to uh, uh, defeat the devil so that you don't ever really have to fight with the devil and make that come to pass. Then he's going to sit down at the right hand of God where you're going to be seated at the right hand of God with him and in him. And he's going to receive the covenant. And the covenant is where I say, yes, all the promises are now yours. You're delivered from all the curse of the law, all that. And if you believe in him, into him, then you now participate in everything that he has done. That's God's part. What is your part? There's only, there's really only two pieces to this puzzle. Do whatever it takes to believe in your heart about what Jesus accomplished through his death, burial, and resurrection. But then, then, Make a decision and use your authority in every situation. You say, well, I'm not sure what that looks like. Well, my decision is this. Jesus said to bind and loose. And to bind means anything that has been, and he says, whatever been bound in heaven, the English says it sort of like this, shall be bound on earth. Whatever shall be loose in heaven shall be loose on earth. So basically what he's saying is this. He's saying, and, and the Greek bears this out this way. If it has been declared illegal in heaven, well, what's been declared illegal in heaven? Well, all the curse of the law. What, what else has been declared? Well, the devil can't, can't touch you. What else has been declared? You know, all that Jesus set us free from has been, has been declared illegal to happen in our lives. So if something that starts happening in my life that looks like the curse, then I have to, I have to say, no, I do not accept you. You have no place in my life. If I'm lacking something that looks like a blessing, you know, paying my bills, uh, being healthy, being happy, having peace, solving problems, overcoming moral and ethical problems, da, 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 then, then I have the right to say, these are the promises of God for me. I choose them. I speak them forth. I call them forth in my life. And let me tell you, that's how you do it. It's pretty much that simple. But you just got to believe it and your heart's got to be real to you. Listen, next week I'm going to wrap all of this up.
And uh, honestly, the only way you can go deeper in this is if you actually get the series. And I encourage you, get the series. I go into theological aspects that I, that I didn't go into here. And let me say something. You'll notice this in these programs. Uh, you know, I, I'm not waving a Bible around, but I'm, you know, I quote dozens of scriptures in every one of these. And we, we, try, to put, we, we try to post the scriptures here, uh, a lot of them, so that you'll see them. Uh, but because these scriptures are committed to my heart, I quote them from memory, not waving a Bible around and saying, now let's turn to this passage. But I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to take you as far as I can theologically on a biblical basis of this in this series. And it's going to be hours, hours, hours that are going to help you. Plus, you're going to get two free bonus messages. Now listen, if you're getting blessed by this message, be sure and comment. Tell me how it's helping you. And if you'll like this, this will help people uh, more people see this whenever we release something new. As a matter of fact, one of the things that you can do is you can subscribe to this and every single week you're going to hear some good news. You're going to uh, uh, establish your heart in the love and the goodness of God and share this with people who are going through hardship because, man, everybody needs somebody that's going to share the good news with them. Listen, I'll be talking to you next week. Can't wait till then. Thanks for listening to the weekly Impact Ministries World Changers podcast with Dr. Jim Richards. If you like what you've just heard, we encourage you to share our web address, www.impactministries.com with friends and colleagues. Be sure to check out the resources section of our website for previous podcasts and our videos. Join us next week for another great message by Dr. Jim Richards.